He's Scott. He's Lee. And we're here to save the movies. Episode 18. Cast a Cast Deadly, a deadly spell. spell. I almost forgot it again. You almost forgot that. That's that's one of the disadvantages. This one strike against this movie is I think it's got a great sort of noirish title, but it's also a very easily forgotten title. Yeah. Yeah. I can attest to that. Yes, as you keep forgetting. It's very generic. <laughs> so anyway, this is uh, I, my pick. Uh, HBO original movie from, like, what is it, 91? 91, yeah. Jeez. Um, I just want to say I had no faith in it. <laughs> I was expecting the worst. <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to describe this movie because... It's just like okay, there's it's a detective story with magic. Okay, that right. that doesn't really catch your attention. That does not give you much to go on. Right, and as you pointed out, even like the since it didn't wasn't a, a a movie like in the theaters, it doesn't even have like good like a good poster. <laughs> right. Like the box art that you see on the IMD page just looks like something you'd get like on a. Nickelodeon's Kids Choice Box or something. I don't know. It just looks very weird. He's just a guy standing here in his suit and another guy like in a circle like pointing the magic wand at him. Looks very indie movie. Yeah. Student film. Yeah. 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 Or something like that. But uh, just the idea of like a made for TV thing. Yeah. (laughs) Conjures images of you know kind of half house. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. You know I do think that's actually uh, considering this was I mean I'm sure this was a lower budget production because it was for HBO. Uh, This is also back before Science fiction blockbusters became these huge, these huge monolithic extravaganzas. Right, and this is kind of early in you know HBO's, not super early, I guess, but early in HBO's like making stuff. Career. Yeah, and um, and yet it looks really good. I think it. Uh, I'm really impressed by the. I think the special effects are really good, but I think the the design just in general is really solid. It really looks. It's everything oozes like 1948. <laughs> It's got that really sleek, like all the cars, all the houses, everybody walking around. Yeah, the set pieces are great. And everybody's constantly smoking cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> he's always lighting. I love he's always lighting a cigarette. And they're always drinking. Yep, or lighting so, somebody else's cigarette. That's right, drinking, lighting, drinking. <laughs> it's the small things. Yeah, it's great, it's great. And it really is a, a just a great channeling of that. Uh, and they go to a hotel room or something. There's a bottle of bourbon. Yeah, under the yeah. Lamp. <laughs> uh, like yeah, these sets are really. Good. I don't know where they got them. I don't know where they designed them. Uh, maybe they just found great places in in that look like this, and they just kind of touched them up. But like you're right, even they're in the hotel room or in the hotel lobby, it looks like this hotel lobby from like 1948. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I can see that. Like this is this is one of those movies that I think. As a as a writer, especially of a fantasy, I think this was. I'm not sure exactly on the dates, but this to me was the first thing I remember that was really I felt urban fantasy, because it's that magical, fantastic world, but like in a city and in a modern world. And I remember at the time it really struck me was how unique it was to do one where magic wasn't hidden, where it was just an everyday thing everyone was kind of used to. <laughs> and I especially love the twist on this one: the idea is that like magic sort of making this big progress push like magic is the future <laughs> right it felt very much like the futurism of uh yeah you know, like chemistry and stuff yeah <laughs> it's like those old the sci-fi movies were like the future in this case it's like 
you know, magic's the future. It's giving me a headache, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I love that aspect of it. So I think it... It's just like um, the iPhone came out. Everybody's like, well, <laughs> you got to get an iPhone. That's right. <laughs> You're going to be left behind. That's right. Everyone's going to use magic. What you going to do? I love that about it. And I think that it does a great masterful blending too, which is I just, I, I find really fascinating. Just well done. And in fact, I still say it's not as... A lot of urban fantasy now is not as well done. I think this movie kind of nailed it right out of the gate. Yeah. Strangely. is That's your uh, favorite thing about the movie? My favorite thing is, uh, yeah, the, the genre blending and the way that it combines sort of traditional magical ideas and the 48 detective noir together and does it so naturally because there's, so, there's magic in this almost every scene in this movie. There's magic all the time because it's not a hidden thing. And yet... It feels so natural to the environment. It never feels pushed in or forced. Like that, the scene where he's leaving the guy's mansion and it starts raining blood. I'm like, well, <laughs> in other genre of fiction, like other detective stories, it might start raining just because it's like sort of an omen, like that the writer's doing. This one is literally raining blood. Or And nobody has to stop and say, oh, look, it's raining blood again. <laughs> they just accept it. And that's the other thing. It's so casual. I love that about, like the police chief. I love the police chief. <laughs> Uh, uh, Bradbury, I think, and he's just like, where's that one part where he's yelling? It's like, he says, like, you got people casting black magic at you from the dark pits of Azathar. <laughs> and I gotta clean it up. You know, I, I just love that. And I think it's just feels, it feels so natural. It feels like this world feels very organic, very real, even as absurd as it can be. Right. It feels very much like the writer just bought into the concept, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't forced on him. <laughs> right. And, he thought about it. Like, well, how can I make this scene interesting? How can I incorporate the magic without drawing attention to it? I mean, there's tons of stuff in this, like where the they're in the police station and there's the vampire behind the jail, you know, the, or, you know, the werewolf or even the, even the opening scene with the, the voodoo doll murder lady. It's just there. Nobody. Yeah. Small things. Right. Um, like on the level of, of polish. Yeah. <laughs> but those are important. Yeah. They make it seem like a thing that's there. You're right, like Very iPhones. So. <laughs> iPhones are all over the place now. Right, and there's always that guy that's going, oh, I'll, I'll never get an iPhone. That's stupid. <laughs> and that's the, the protagonist in this yeah, movie. That's right. <laughs> so my favorite thing <laughs> was the snappy patter. <laughs> uh, so I think the other part of this movie is that it really is spot-on noir detective film. Mm-hmm. And they hit it beat for beat, and the protagonist always has the snappy comeback. And usually, the, even the thugs and the bad guys are usually, like, wittier than they should yeah. be. You know what I mean? Almost everybody in noir fiction is kind of at least a little bit witty. Even, like, a goon. Everybody's cracking somehow, Yeah. He's still got, like, a clever comeback. Yeah, so that's all spot on. And they have the uh, the love interest in mm-hmm. there, and she she sings at the club, mm-hmm. and she's saying all the... They've got a history they've got together. they like dog and cat mm-hmm. relationship and it's all it's all perfect for a noir detective film yeah and it just happens to be set in this right urban fantasy they here's the thing that i find interesting is that you you could remove you could actually remove either one of these elements like you could do this sort of as traditional fantasy story setting and it would work it'd be weird but you you know you just take away some of like you could set it in a fantasy world or you could set it like in la and just change it from being about the this necronomicon this spell and it could work because you could just change the items and the objects. But th- so it works really well separately, and then they combine them so well that they that that's why it just feels so integrated. And one of the things that I think about fantasy that's important is that people will talk about is like it feel it has to feel like it's important that it's fantasy. I hate when it's like 
well, we could do this, but you could just take away the fantasy element, and it's not important. This one, <laughs> you could do that, and it'd be a good noir story. But what makes it a great story is its combination of the two. It's peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just it, they work so well together, and partly because they're so execute, they're both executed so well alone that when they merge, right? It's important that the the fantasy elements don't feel tacked on, right, and don't feel overwhelming. You could say the same thing about the detective story. Exactly, so, I mean, exactly. The patter is great because it's not it's not in your face. It's just people talking with patter, <laughs> but they're advancing the plot. They're sure. doing good stuff. They're doing characterization with it. It's all there. Right, and that's that's kind of what makes me think that the writer was that this was his idea. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because this isn't the kind of thing you get out of like a focus group. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think. Yeah, especially because this is such an unconventional thing at the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, it still kind of is. It still is. Honestly. I think I think uh, urban fantasy is still a genre that has a hard time. It does better in novels, but like books, it's just, I mean movies. It's just you don't see it very often. TV shows you see a little bit. But even then, I kind of have a problem with it. It tends to be kind of not as well connected as it. This this is just so seamless. I love this world. <laughs> this, we were talking about Sky Captain, you know, mm-hmm. and how I love Sky Captain and how it feels like there could so much you could do with this. I would have loved like they did one movie for this follow up, uh, Witch Hunt, which I didn't. I don't remember very well. I don't think it was nearly as good. There should be books about this guy. This guy should be having <laughs> Philip Lovecraft should be having adventures because it's such a natural setting. Well, honestly, it follows pretty closely with, um, I haven't read a lot of Lovecraft, but it feel, felt like it followed pretty closely with like a Lovecraft story. Certain elements, yeah, yeah. Um, protagonist's name is Lovecraft, by the way. <laughs> right, he's he's H. Philip Lovecraft. It's a little on the nose. <laughs> well, but at the time, it was kind of, you think about it, a lot of that was, I mean, Lovecraft was still around, but obviously, but it was a big time before he became sort of well-known. It's actually one of those things I thought, even the, the like, when the guy's chanting and summoning all those, like, and he's, you know, Shibnagarath and, and Nyarlathotep, who I can never say right, but, uh, at the, uh, you know, Azathoth and Yogg-Sathoth, those are all things that have actually, if you're a fan at all about that stuff, you become more aware of it. But at the time, it was a little more obscure. Like, most things nerdy in 1991, most people didn't know a lot about it. You know, that's probably still true. Yeah, well... Like, I see these things through my own lens. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. We're nerds. So we do know about Yaxathoth more than probably your average person. But still, the Shut fact down. is, is there's it's still a much more common thing now. Even if... In, yeah. Like, in 1991, if you had said Yaxathoth even to a nerd, they would have been like, I don't know what that is. You would have had to have a Lovecraft nerd, not just a nerd. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. What was your uh, least favorite thing about the movie? My least favorite thing is... Uh, and this is just kind of a double-edged sword because like, I understand why they do it, but I feel like he doesn't contribute enough to the story, Lovecraft. I mean, he technically does, and it's an important part he's there, and, and and it kind of fits with a lot of noir fiction where the detective does stuff but doesn't do a lot to affect the story, just a little bit. But I wish he'd do a little bit more, uh, even though that's traditional, that is kind of like he doesn't do a lot. I felt like he, he should have had more of a struggle in the middle of the movie. <laughs> So, I mean, my least favorite thing's kind of related. He didn't do a lot of detective work, it didn't seem like. <laughs> <laughs> like, he didn't have to uncover clues. He he never really reached a dead end of any kind. Well, he didn't have time to, though. Right. I mean, the story yeah. takes place over. But, you know, they, that's their false deadline. We don't have to have it. <laughs> sure. But that's yeah. kind of a it's a big part of detective stories. Is yeah. They'll run out of leads at some point <laughs> and be, like, really down on their... their um, down on themselves and something will just fall into their lap <laughs> still 
Yeah. Very good movie. Yeah. It's a minor complaint, but I, it's, it counts. <laughs> we have to reach to find these. Yeah, in this case, I really had to reach because I think this is a great, this is I, a great movie. I think this is, I don't think there's been anything really quite like it. And uh, I just think it's really well done from top to bottom. Yeah. This is no anacondas. That's true. Anacondas, is, <laughs> anacondas has good elements, but anacondas also doesn't challenge. Or it, anacondas is fine. It's a well done movie, but it's not doing anything especially interesting besides a few a few interesting choices. Right. Everything in this is an interesting, well thought out choice. Everything in this one. Yes. I mean, even in the this... background, you'll see little things, and it's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just it's just a little reminder. Magic's going on. Stuff floating around. Yeah. <laughs> Like when the police station, they walk, that file, while they're talking, the file cabinet opens up. One person walks up to it, it just, a file floats under <laughs> their hand and closes. Cause it's like, yeah. It's polish, man. Right. It's just, it's craft. <laughs> Cause everybody uses it. Uh, yeah, I mean, Anacondas is a monster movie. Yeah. Um, this movie, I feel like, I know we say this a lot, but anytime you're doing urban fantasy, you're taking a risk. <laughs> you are. It's a difficult genre because, partly because here's the thing I think is interesting about this movie. Is magic always comes with this sort of loaded? It's kind of like the the Doctor Strange. Uh, you know, one, I've seen a lot of reactions to Doctor Strange, and some people don't like this Doctor Strange movie because they felt like his magic was too wasn't magical enough in the sense that he wasn't doing weird things. Instead, he's kind of like throwing magical bolts and astral projecting, and and even in the comic books, Doctor Strange sometimes will be sort of like a superhero who shoots lightning bolts, and other times do weird things. So magic's always kind of tricky. But uh, one of the things I really like about this particular movie, and, and I think that, is that I love the idea that magic is just sort of a skill. Because I always get a, one of the things, and I know I'm going to, uh, I go to cons all the time, and I hear this all the time when people talk about magic. They're always like, what's the number one rule? Well, magic has to have a price. And I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> That's such a silly idea to me. Not that it can't, you know, you don't want characters just doing everything whenever they can. But the price just because can be is... It's just, it's inconvenient or it requires rules. And this one, I love that they don't over-explain the magic, but it makes sense when you see it. Sure. And and, and I think that can be difficult because people really like very specific, and that's not even into the fact that some people believe magic is real. Um, I don't want to get into that too much, but I will say every time I'm at a con... I'm, I'm, Whoa, are you saying magic's not real? No. Every time I'm at a con and there's a panel about how you should do magic in your story, there's always somebody in the panel or in the audience... Who will start talking about, and I'm going to use my finger quotes here, whoop, whoop, real magic. And I'm like, one, I don't think there's such a thing. But even if there was, who cares? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fictional magic. Every time I've done the panel on, on magic, there's always somebody who's like, well, you know. I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't care. Just like when I'm writing about my Kung Fu guy, I don't necessarily need to know the real correct stance for the Iron Tiger. And I don't need to... It can help. Do your research. I will do my research. But when I break it, I'll know when I'm doing it. And the same way. I know all the the dumb stuff about magic. You know, It's the rule of threes. Whatever you... Shut up. I don't care. Oh, you're breaking hearts. Mm, I'm sure right now someone's like, well, they does not know magic well enough. I'm sorry. Please don't curse me. <laughs> the cross section of our fans <laughs> and the people you're insulting. Hopefully I don't know. Small, I, guess. I don't know. I don't... By the way, if if you do believe in real magic, I apologize for my ignorance. I I wish you well with your sorcery. I <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. 
Ah, fuck him. <laughs> if you send a zombie to attack me, I, I, please don't do that. Just do something small, and I'll believe you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing the... I think it's wheel metaphor, metaphor time. time. Okay. Cookie Puss is on the... Come on, yes, I'm ready. I forget we put that on there. I remember that episode. <laughs> <laughs> the Double Down from KSC. Have we done this one before? Have we we have done this one before. Okay, uh, well, I mean, I could say Double Down's real easy. Double Down is two delicious things put together, and it's It's wonderful. It fits. It fits. This is not a metaphor. A little, little bit of cheese in the middle of the hole together. Put a little bit of cheese together. Take take noir. Take uh, Cthulhu. Put a little patter to hold that thing together. Delicious. Delicious and low carb. <laughs> Atkins approved. Atkins approved. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we need to say that. That was good. That. that was on the nose. <laughs> Available for a limited time at first, but it's so good. It's not going anywhere. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll take a break here. All right. Uh, so uh, you can watch the movie. Oh, you can find oh, it. Oh, stop. Go, stop. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> we have to plug stuff. Okay. <laughs> I always forget to plug things. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter... It's at Save the Movies. Okay. If you want to go to the website, savethemovies.com. If you'd like to email us for some reason, it's podcast at savethemovies.com. Uh, our Facebook is facebook.com slash savethemovies. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, that'd be great. That would be great. I endorse this. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I guess that's fine. Um, Lee's blog is at aleemartinez.com. And I'm on Twitter at aleemartinez. I think that's all. That's it. Good enough. All right. Now, if you'd like to watch the movie, and it's out there. It's on YouTube. And it's a pretty good copy on YouTube. There's also, it's on, if you have HBO, it was on their yep. service on demand. It's on HBO Now or HBO Go. Um, I saw a couple of places you could buy it streaming. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, I think it's definitely worth it. But if not, we're not going to hold it against you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's going to be hard to understand how good the movie is without seeing Right. Because it. it's so much about the execution. Yes, but it's very good. <laughs> Promise. YouTube. Watch it on YouTube. It's free. <laughs> All right. We'll break here. The critics are mesmerized about Cast a Deadly Spell. Imagine who framed Roger Rabbit with witches and zombies instead of tunes, and you've got a great way to spend an evening. Cast a Deadly Spell is sheer entertainment and is the newest addition to HBO Video's Crowd Pleasers program, the program that stands behind new rentals with strong retailer awareness and a customer satisfaction guarantee. And... <laughs> We're back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we open up here with a very '90s intro. <laughs> very '90s, very attempted. It, it's again, it's sort of a generic intro of of like the sort of generic music. It's, it works fine, but it's kind of it's not a good. It's an okay opening, but it doesn't do anything. It's just credits. Yeah, it's yeah. just credits. But it does open up with one of the best lines I think that summarizes this movie so well. Los Angeles, 1948. Everybody uses magic. <laughs> Everybody used magic. I just love that because it's just, that's it. That's just telling you everything about this. Yeah. Done. 
And, and it's what six words? Yeah, it just words? it's just like the mission statement of this movie. <laughs> if you go, well, that sounds dumb. Forget it. You're not for this movie. <laughs> yeah. you might as well just stop it right there. Right, but and you uh, only wasted about you know thirty seconds of your right. time. <laughs> so we open up with Lovecraft having to, they're having to drag this femme fatale uh, with the cops are dragging her away because she she was trying to this is some his previous case. <laughs> She's playing for a patsy. Yeah, 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 and uh, and there's that great part where at first you're like, okay, what's going on? But they pull her out, and then it looks all very normal detective stuff. Everyone's got great, like, like uh, where she punches the detective, and the de- and the, the de- she fucks by and goes like, people think you never been get back up. You see people think you never been socked by a dame before. <laughs> <laughs> Which socked by a dame? That is so awesome. A phrase. A lot of the pattern is very. Um... Very period. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's accurate, but it doesn't sounds matter. Accurate. <laughs> sounds and, right. <laughs> and then that's when they he goes up and the chief and he shows him and he's like gives him the voodoo doll. Yeah. And here's that the great murder weapon. <laughs> yeah, that is the murder weapon. And what's the great line? It's like time was you had to <laughs> l- at least look a man when you killed him. Look at a man to kill him. You owed him that yeah, much. Look a man in the eye. That's right. <laughs> you owed him at least that much. Uh, and the other cop lights a cigarette. And he's using magic. Oh, that's it. right. And uh, Lovecraft's like, ah, you too. <laughs> yeah, you too. And he's Grimaldi. And he's like, hey, not all the time, just some of the time. <laughs> I feel it like makes Grimaldi easier. must be some reference. To- <laughs> it might be. I assume it was because Bradbury is a reference. Wizards. Yeah. But yeah, that part where he likes it with his hand, cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> what? Just some of the time. Not all the time, some of the time. Makes things easier. I love that line. Because <laughs> again, that fits with that, like, the, the, the idea is that magic is around because... It is easier because this is all you say a few magic words or you do a chant. <laughs> yeah, in that kind of setting, you're like, well, yeah. Why, why bother having to why carry matches around when I can just make a fire appear out of my hands? Just another kind of technology. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they take her off and then he's he's walking away down the alley. And he starts doing the narration. Yeah, <laughs> the noir narration. Narration about like, you know, that's me. I'm the only guy who knows. The only guy who knows it all who's still alive. I forget the guy's name. Bringing the uh, book. It's not that important. No, he's not because he's not. He dies. Spoiler alert. And uh, (laughs) they're bringing the book to Bort. Who played by, I I always just think of Clancy Brown because that's who it is. Clancy Brown from Starship Troopers and Highlander and Lex Luthor. That's Starship Troopers fame. That's really always in this podcast. (laughs) Remember, it was a private named Zim. <laughs> and again, it's this great part where the guy's nervous. He comes in and gives him the package and he leaves. And he opens up the book. And it's not the right book. And Mr. Tugwell and the zombie. I love this zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the muscle. The, the muscle. Literally. <laughs> Just the zombie. Kind of lifeless. Just, Yeah. And uh, and this is great because it's that again it's those little they're slowly getting you into this world because they still haven't done a lot yet they haven't done a lot of the magic yet you get little tastes of it but like that when the suitcases are flying by and or like when the the so uh, the one guy the dead guy he runs into the bathroom <laughs> and he's kind of like to, to try to bite because he's trying to get away and this is when our we're really our first taste of how magic kind of works in this world because Mr. Tugwell goes into the bathroom puts some water in his hands. And then uses blows on it and makes fire that <laughs> seeks the guy out. Yeah, you pointed out during the movie that he's not a big guy. 
but that doesn't matter in no. in this world. It's his competency with spells. Right. He's he's really good at killing people with magic. Right. Too good, actually, ironically. <laughs> and then our our poor sap pulls out his money. It's he's been cheated too, which is kind of like ah oh, criminals. Sure. <laughs> he dies in a horrible oh. fashion. Yeah, he gets paper cutted to in death. A tornado of paper. Yeah, by Mister Tugwell. It's just mean spirited. That's yeah. That's but that but it's that moment because that's really where you see not just magic like little like oh sort of these things. No, I mean these guys can literally cause a tornado of paper cuts, and it's like yeah. you realize the magic's not exactly what you think in this world. Like you know, you might think at first it's like oh it's just these little charms or something like that. Well, no, you can you can kill a man with it. <laughs> right. Whereas in a, a normal noir film would be uh, you know. Guns and thugs. Or a big guy who choked him, you know, to death. Or, yeah, yeah. The, but, yeah. The magic's taking the place of yeah. murder attempts. Well, like that. Like, I like that. Uh, you never see Mr. Tugwell with the gun. Right. Because that's like, that's not how he operates. <laughs> he doesn't need one. Yeah, he doesn't need one. That's just, why would you carry it around? You don't need it. It's just going to get in your way. You've got an arsenal of spells and a giant zombie die. Yeah, that's right. You've got a zombie <laughs> watching your back. So that's when they cut to our hero again and he's in his office and his landlady mrs kapotnik 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 or something i think it was her name i'm sure is another reference <laughs> maybe and she's his landlady and he, i love that he's got that that the office that's in the dance studio <laughs> like, it's just him and a dance studio <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. And so she's uh, she's like a practicing witch. <laughs> right, because we see her at the beginning, which we've skipped over, but that part of the beginning where she's yeah. doing the charm and she's like... She's some ominous thing. And she's just like, yeah, but I just... Because that's the thing where she's like, oh, no. And she's like, if I had the money, surely I'd be in Miami. And I love that because that's, again, it's that combination of like, I'm going to skip town. <laughs> I think one of the interesting parts of the movie is that there's... The, the laborers that we see are, are black people, mm-hmm. but they explain it away well, don't explain it away, but they explain it by having like all these because well, they're zombies Haitian, are they're Haitian the zombies. <laughs> yeah, well, I like that because so it, it like fits the period. <laughs> well, I like it too because a because explanation for it. because I like the idea too because it fits with one of the things I like about this movie is I feel like it is well researched in its mythology because they mentioned like the part with the gremlins and how they yeah. came from World War II and that's where gremlins came from, <laughs> like you know, in our culture. That's where the sort of myth of the gremlin came from. It's like, oh, it's the gremlins. And in this world, that's real. And I love the idea because zombies come from the... And like these are zombies of a traditional sense. Zombies come from Haiti and the West Indies. And they were basically... Like now we think of them as monsters. But at the time, even traditionally, a zombie is more of a person, a servant. Yeah. A zombified... And the reason it was such a terrible thing to happen to somebody in the in the Haitian lore was because they... They were slaves, and they had the overthrow. They did the only successful slave rebellion and overtook it. And so the worst thing you could do in their culture was to make somebody a slave. And so later on, we made it like, oh, they're cannibal monsters and eat people, which is fine. I don't problem. Zombies aren't real. You can do what you want with them. <laughs> but that's what I like about this one is it fits. You're right. They're laborers, but that's because that's what zombies are. Right. It's more like a golem or something. Yeah. But it's made out of a person. <laughs> yeah. It's just a person you've, been, you've, been, you've, you've animated to do jobs. <laughs> There's a later scene in here where they have uh, zombies building a house. <laughs> and doing a bad job a of great it. Great comic relief. <laughs> and again, it's mostly in the background. And it's really well done because they just it's, 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 it's advancing the plot. 
<laughs> but you also see, oh yeah, magic. <laughs> Even they use that term industrial theometur- theometurgy or whatever, and I was just like, I love that. Because like, if in a world like this, I would totally see that as a thing. Yeah, of course they're trying to industrialize it. Right, <laughs> right. That's what we do. The zombies are a little got a little bit of bugs. <laughs> profits to be made. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so at some point, he goes to, to see his client. Yes. Uh, I forget his name, too. Uh, I always just, I always is David Warner, who's been so many things. <laughs> David Warner. So many things. Doing David Warner, who he does very well. Indeed. They were like, we need a David Warner type for this role. Can we get David Warner? Yeah. Done. <laughs> I want to give credit, too. I really like uh, Fred really Ward. sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. I really like Fred Ward, and I think he's an underrated actor. And he does a great job in this movie at, oh, the, yeah. at the detective. Uh, anyway, he's great in Tremors. He's uh, really good in a, a movie that nobody people have seen called Rima Williams, which has, unfortunately, some yellow face problems because Joel Gray plays a, a Korean. Um, <laughs> but other than that, that movie, he's really good in it as, as uh, the destroyer, Rima Williams, who is basically like a super, becomes a super kung fu guy who can literally like, dodge bullets and kill people with one blow and stuff like that i like super kung fu guys it's a series it's a series of books uh, called the destroyer and like they're really ridiculous the level of basically he st- he works as a government assassin but he trains under this guy who i think he's korean i could be wrong about who he's supposed to be but basically this island that they have nothing they barely survive so what they do is they send out their master who who basically they, they're the first people to ever do martial arts therefore they have the purest martial art they've ever invented <laughs> And he goes and he trains, and then the money goes back to the island. So basically him, Remo Williams, and, and uh, oh, I can't remember his master's name now, are like these just two invincible guys. Like, I'm not, you don't, I'm not telling you. You know, like the Matrix? <laughs> the Matrix people are wimps compared to these guys. Like, these guys can literally dodge bullets just by listening for them. In one of the books, I've, I've read one, like one, they literally, like, Remo just pulls the guy's head off, and his master just crushes the guy's skull by clapping his hands together and by the way that's not them even trying at one point he beats up a shark and rides it (laughs) now the movie doesn't do that much but rima williams the adventure begins does quite a bit of that where i remember and i didn't know anything about the destroyer when i saw that movie the first time and suddenly i'm like he's like dodging bullets and i'm like you can do that So it was really fun to, to actually get that discovery by the end. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah of course you can do that. Run across water? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you know the secrets of the martial world. <laughs> if you know the purest, the purest your, your martial Your only limits art. are within yourself. That's right. So anyway, he's great in this. Did we and learn I... anything from The Last Dragon? <laughs> that's true. That's You've true. got the glow. Catch, that's got the glow. <laughs> yeah, so he goes and talks to David Warner, who hires him. And I love the small touch here of... All the aquariums that are filled with like that blue glow. Cthulhu has like the sunken city where he lives. All those aquariums remind me of like kind of look otherworldly. And I think that was an intentional thing. Well, even say, yeah. he, he says something about feeding your squid. And, <laughs> and David Warner says, that's not squid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I love that. So David Warner's misplaced his Necronomicon. <laughs> yes. Oh, by the way, I love also, again, the small part where they're dri- he's driving up to the house. And the unicorn runs fast, which is such a great touch. And the girl's hunting the unicorn. Sure. Right. Yeah, he's misplaced his Necronomicon. <laughs> Happens all the time. Sure. 
Apparently, uh, the Necronomicon is not common knowledge in this world. <laughs> but I don't see why it would be. Right, right. Well, it would eventually be. <laughs> sure. But yeah, in this case, it's not common knowledge. especially And especially because one of the things I like is that uh, Lovecraft isn't an outsider of the magical world. He understands magic. He just doesn't practice it. Which I think is a nice, interesting touch. That's why he can handle a lot of stuff that happens to him. Because he understands enough... He's not an idiot who's like, I don't, was that like the guy say at one point you don't believe in magic? He goes, no, I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't use it. (laughs) And I love that that attitude. It's like, it keeps him, he's he's not an idiot. He just doesn't have. He's just operating in in the world he finds himself in. He's still going to know about like, you know, I know how magic works because I'm going to deal with it. (laughs) Uh, Then we meet uh, David Warner's. Daughter. Movie daughter. That's right. I really like, by the way, I really like her look all through this movie. She looks just <laughs> amazing to me. Like every dress she wears, every clothes, every clothes, every hat she wears. I love her hair. It's the same way about Julianna Moore. You know, Julianna Moore, I, I love that look. Like, like all the evening gowns, dresses she's wearing and her hair. I mean, I love everybody in this movie, to be fair. Like, Clancy Brown's walking around in that, like, mob business suit with a scarf. <laughs> And the hat. Well, it all fits the noir thing. Oh, I just... I mean, it's such yeah, a great look. Very accurate to what they were going for. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I love the daughter because she just looks like a young girl who's like trying to sow her wild oats. Yeah. <laughs> they have a great back and forth where... Uh, I, I forget what they said, but... She's trying she to up, uh, assess... <laughs> she's trying to assess if he's worth sleeping with <laughs> using like astrology... <laughs> And numerology, and I love that in this world, like that'd be a quirk in in a, a noir piece. But in this world, I'm like, well, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> There's a point later in the police station where we see um, the police officer yeah. using a Ouija board. <laughs> oh, yeah. spirit medium in the middle, right? Of going uh, being possessed by spirits, right? In this world, it really would be like, well, who would you know who did it? Well, he's got 13 letters in his name. That's bad luck. <laughs> They come in threes. <laughs> That's right. And I love his great line. He says, like, uh, all that smoke and not a lick of flame to back it up. And she's trying yeah. to seduce him. That's when she slaps him. Gosh, this is such a good noir. Book. Yeah. And then, the, and then again, the, the, the omen with the red rain falling from the sky. <laughs> and everybody just remarks and passes. Oh, yeah. it's an omen. <laughs> yeah. Well, even, like, I love that. Because, like, I love the idea of the cop, you know, especially the, chief, the, the police uh, uh, chief. Like, he really knows what's going on, at least a little bit, because in this world, magic and crime, so he's, because when we see him later on, he's like, ah, oh, I got too many headaches to go, and I know what's going on here, you know? <laughs> he can sense that, like, which is sort of that thing of the same way about noir, where it's like, the chief's like, I know tough, some troubles in this town, something's happening, something's brewing. <laughs> in this case, though, he really knows something brewish. <laughs> right, which is good. I mean, if, it's that thing where a lazy writer would have made people certain people ignorant of how magic worked it would have, as a plot device. Right. It wouldn't have seemed right because it would have been like, well, this was fairly common knowledge at this stage. Right. It's that it's the fact that everyone's kind of at least a little you're, bit aware of it. Right. Your character shouldn't be an infant. Right. And you're right. The fact that people really are like, ah, oh, it's raining blood again. <laughs> was that line? You're like, I got red rain in north side. I got black rain in south, south side. <laughs> black pit. Of, yeah. Has a nod or something. Yeah. So, and this is also where we meet the gargoyle that the guy has that he uses as a servant, but we don't know that right away, but we're pretty clear. <laughs> they don't really hide it. The way they frame the shot. Yeah. 
you don't get to like you don't look at the cool gargoyle and go like oh it's just there yeah that probably won't come up later <laughs> what's that camera angle oh. looking like something from the gargoyle's perspective is looking at the car ah, i'm sure it's important <laughs> quirky <laughs> quirky so i think this is Oh, by the way, this is the, also the recurring gag about the... I love the recurring gag about the business cards. The <laughs> landlady gives him cards for her dance school. Which, by the way, on the door... And I love that they don't draw attention to it. There's her, her ballroom... She teaches ballroom, tap, and ritual dancing. <laughs> but yeah, every time you give somebody a card, they're like, tap and ballroom. <laughs> or he gives the card to that other guy. Ah, I never much care for dancing. <laughs> So then they, uh, yeah, they go, he goes to the guy's house. The uh, drag, the drag lady, drag man, (laughs) person in drag. (laughs) Crossdresser. Crossdresser, thank you. Uh, Transvestite. Yeah. Yeah. I love that there's the kids. Again, the kids are doing mischief and chanting. (laughs) It caused the car to kind of, the car to kind of shake and explode a little bit. It's like, well, you can't put that genie back in that bottle. You damn kids. <laughs> stop stop throwing spells at me. Uh, so the guy, the uh, landlord's fixing his car. That's right. And looks under the hood, and that's where he finds the, the gremlins. Mm-hmm. Was it the worst thing we brought back in World War One was the clap? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's a little comic relief bit where he chases a gremlin around with a shotgun. Yeah. Well, and I love, again, this is every bit of pattern. Like, I love that this guy isn't, like, this guy's not really clever in the sense of the, the landlord. But he still has, like, the clever pattern. He's like, you know, can I take a look? It's a boarding room, not a not a museum. Can I pay you tw- Can I pay you to rent it for 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> do you, do, is it? He goes, do you have any friends? Yeah, any, any friends? friends? He's like, oh, not really. Everybody <laughs> I know is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the other part well, did you have anybody over? Now that I know. Well, maybe when you weren't here, I never go anywhere. <laughs> uh, so he picks up the clue that leads him to the club where um, Julianne the Moore is. The Dunwich Room. The Dunwich Room. Uh, where Julianne Moore is headlining. <laughs> oh, there's that great line where he goes to the bartender and it's like, give me a scotch with water, go easy on the water, or something like that. <laughs> Settle on the water, and the guy's like like a moon, like an orchid in the moonlight. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Oh, be discreet about it. And the guy's like like an orchid in the moonlight, and I'm like, damn it, bartender, you're you're already more clever than I'll ever be in my life. <laughs> Got to get your head in the right place. Oh, <laughs> got to live that noir lifestyle. I'm glad I don't live in that universe. It'd be too hard to write, man. Everybody be like, this is kind of clumsy. <laughs> well, that's over us. <laughs> you have to look through slip blinds a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and this this town's full of drug dealers and pimps. <laughs> I'm not so different. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's there's uh this is where we see Julianne Moore, and this is before she she got big. Um, and they they they, they she has a song which is tradition. <laughs> And uh, and then they talk. Was that like? Oh, there's so many great lines in this movie where it's just like, uh, I'll take a gin, she'll take a, a scotch sour. She's like, what if I change my drink preference? I'd still order a scotch sour just to watch eat the fruit. It's like, oh, man. 
Yeah, there's a lot of good bits. I know I wasn't going to catch them all. There's no, yeah, there's no way. Because almost always somebody says something that's pretty clever. And you just cool. have to watch the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, next week's movie will be <laughs> Cast a Deadly Spell. <laughs> so we learn about the history of the characters. Rocky relationships. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Julianne Moore's character is with... Clancy Brown's yeah. character. Clancy Brown. Barton. <laughs> Barton? Oh, I keep getting his name wrong. Because we see her earlier. Yeah, uh, at his hideout, I guess in the club. Right. <laughs> well, club. and and they point out that I mean later on you find out when they talk about that where she's the one who even talked him into going into the criminal underworld. Although she didn't talk to get him to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also again the part where we, where we have uh, very appropriate for this <laughs> for noir film. That's right. Where the singer is like trying to break his contract. <laughs> yeah. And comes around says, "Yeah, no problem, Johnny." <laughs> The guy starts speaking backwards, like you can't sing anymore. Oh, what a jerk. Yep, where a normal film, they would have broken his kneecaps Yeah, take him outside, deal with him. It's like, I got it, fixed him. And this is the, like, they talk more civilized. It makes things easier. (laughs) But that's what I like about it is, like, it's not, like, this is the opposite of the world where, like, magic has a price. It's more like, magic, once you know how to do it, it's kind of easy. And it makes things so much easier. It's like a time-saving thing. It's just... <laughs> you're right. I don't, I don't got time to beat the crap out of this guy. <laughs> Boom. Done. <laughs> it's a learned skill. That's right. And uh, uh, At some point they mention, like, zombies' utility as thugs. <laughs> right, because he's like, what happened to your usual leg breakers? <laughs> <laughs> These guys are much better. They don't question orders. <laughs> yeah. They come in 30 bucks a head from the West don't, don't they smell bad? What's it like? It's like, um, what's the line? Don't they smell bad? It's like, well, they last about three three months, depending on the weather. Get some new ones. 30 bucks a head, six bucks a pop, like bonbons. <laughs> so he just, he leaves without really getting much information, if I remember right. I mean, he knows some information about that, but I'm not exactly sure. But he tracks some of those stuff down. And then he's leaving, and, and he leaves, and then they're immediately like, oh, I know, he's got the book. He knows about the book. We have to take care of that. So that Mr. Tugwell's going to take care of that. And then they he goes back to his office <laughs> and feels down. <laughs> yeah, so this is the point in the movie where yeah. I, I guess there was kind of that moment yeah. where he kind of ran out of leads. <laughs> yeah. And Julianne Moore showed up to give him a nudge, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> And that part again, where he's he wakes up, then he wakes up the next day, and again there's there's the daughter, and she's just like, was it like she's the one who says man to drink alone, or you don't seem like the kind of man to drink alone? It's like why well, didn't really make that decision, or something. just how it worked out? Yeah, just how it worked out. <laughs> and so they they kind of bond a little bit, like, and then I love his landlady come in, Mrs. Kapotnik. Well, there's a vice squad. <laughs> And he's like, okay, there's nothing happening here. Don't worry about it. And they do the diner scene. And and then a diner scene where they're eating. And it's just sort of this scene about, like, a little bit of her background about where she came. Like, you know, how her dad overprotects her. The story of Rapunzel and how terrible a story it is. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my dad ever read for me was the racing form. <laughs> oh, I missed that, bit. Oh, you visit? Well, because it was in the background. While the diner owner goes over and gives the, the check to Mr. Tugwell so that he can put the runes on it. Yeah. And I love that because, again, it's very much 
like that's how runes runes are like you know magical symbols and I love that you, you he's just he's just writing it with a pen it's not like something it's not a weird ritual it's just <laughs> it's not his own blood <laughs> no it's just just gotta write it really easily and then gives it to the guy to give to Lovecraft and uh, of course Lovecraft sees it <laughs> right <laughs> which apparently is the trigger. Well, I think it's you're you're either supposed to see, maybe you're not supposed to see it or whatever. But once you take it, like I do like the idea that you you can't you can't just get rid of it. You have someone has to take it from you. Yeah. So he chases after that guy, and they have that scene in the kitchen. Where he's just like, like who who cast runes at me? You put the finger on me. Who cast runes on me? <laughs> he's like, hey, whatever. I'm this right here. If something happens to me, it happens to you too. <laughs> and there's a fight. Poof, poof. Which is normal, it's good, and then the, the note gets dropped. One of the few physical confrontations right. in this world of magic. <laughs> yeah, well, because these guys are all pretty... Well, they're they're not... Well, to be fair, I do think the thing you also get the impression of is that even though magic's around, it's not used... Like, if you notice, the most violent magic does come from Mr. Tugwell. And that seems like his, <laughs> his specialty. Yeah, it seems like he knows more than most he, people. He definitely... Well, I, it kind of fits with the idea that he's a violent... He's the most violent person, really... Right. Uh, well, even more than uh, like the other characters are not. Not. I mean, like the I other. I believe criminals. that he's willing to get into magic. That's people would have a moral problem. With. Right. Well, like that. There's a scene. Not necessarily that you have to like trade anything for, but things that you're still. Although they mention. Uh, I think Lovecraft mentions at one point that he still has a soul. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, I, I, if, if 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 Mr. Tugwell could get more power, he probably did mortgage his soul. Sure. And I like the scene because again, you're right. It's, it's like a fist fight. It's cool. It's a fist fight. <laughs> And then just when you're like, okay, that's cool, the cool thing happens <laughs> with the thing coming out of the the stew pot or something. And I and I again I like it because like that the part where the one guy accidentally the guy he doesn't know what it is he picks it up, and then the other guy picks it up takes it from him. Don't do that. No, you have to take it back. It's like, huh? <laughs> and I'm not touching that. <laughs> the one thing we we acknowledge in this movie. Magic does not screw around when it's coming to kill you. <laughs> yeah, this was the part of the movie that kind of looked a little cheesy. Yeah. But it fit. Yeah, <laughs> and I really like that weird suit demon. <laughs> <laughs> just made of found materials, I guess. I don't know what it is. It's just this weird bone green. It kind of, I love that it kind of like looks around at first like it doesn't know what it's doing, and then it looks at the guy. Like it snaps its head. It's like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to kill. And man, again, this is... This is most of it's off camera, but that there's a lot of blood flying around while this thing is like munching on him and yeah. oh. lesser demon. Oof. And then that's when he he uses the frying pan to knock it into the freezer, <laughs> and they shut the freezer. And then the guy get and there's that sound when they're calming down for a second, and then the guy who got mutilated gets <laughs> up. Oh, and he's got oh my god, he looks so dreadful. <laughs> Yeah, it was surprisingly gory for this it movie. It is. Well, I mean, where the guy gets paper cut to death, that's pretty gory, too. That's true. Those um, are the only two scenes, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the monstrosity at the end. Is yeah, but it's not really that gory. Because it just eats somebody yeah. whole. <laughs> not so impressive, Yog Sathon. <laughs> Take that. I think you're so big. <laughs> Don't taunt the under gods. <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> Yogg's a thoth lurking at the threshold. Come inside or don't. You're letting all the air out. <laughs> Cthulhu for tagging my nuts. 
<laughs> and this is the part. We're talking these nuts. <laughs> there we go. Classic. <laughs> I hope that one day Cthulhu rises from the oceans just so you can say that before you're stepped on it. That'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> Before my mind descends into a sanity. That's right. <laughs> These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously they go to the police station after this incident with the oh, murder. Yeah. After the. <laughs> The mutilated the demon murder. Yeah. And this is where we get a chance. Again, a great line. She's like, do all police stages smell like this? He's like, in my experience. Yeah. All the ones I've been in. <laughs> ones I've been in. And uh, we get that where they're walking through the, the police station. And again, there's just all this little magical stuff going on. Like you're right, the seance. The, like the vampire in the cage, the jail. See, at first she looks like she's just some kind of call girl or whatever. And then she's like... And you can see her fang. <laughs> or was that was the, like he's interrogating the werewolf? Yeah. <laughs> and the werewolf howls and he's like, oh, your friends can't hear you now. <laughs> your friends can't hear you now. It's like, they're not going to lose a paw to help you. <laughs> and even that line, he's like, come on in. Sit in the, sit. But don't sit in that chair. You're going to get hair all over your suit. <laughs> and there's that great bit where it's like, so I, snappy I, and the, the these battery. two especially, I love these two guys. They always have great, like everything they say is awesome. You know, I used to hate your guts, Lovecraft. Yeah, you never made a secret of it. (laughs) And you told me often enough. (laughs) Who are you working for? Who are you working for? Does he have a name? And he's like, takes a long, full on a cigarette and blows. Yes. There's a lot of good lines. But there. It's one of my favorite lines is where he says something funny again. He says something smart-ass and, and uh, the, the, the chief is like, you know, nothing in life is as funny as you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that great line, too, about like, if this is the future, I'll take vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great. And then they... they you gotta see this too. movie just for the... The Just the pattern alone. <laughs> Although the the magic is really cool, I, I really love the magic. I love the sequences. I think they have some really great fun. There's a lot of fun in going on visually in this movie. Uh, and you're right. Just the batter alone is just, but it's just like it just it just flies. It's so smooth. <laughs> like the lawyer shows up. Like butter. <laughs> the lawyer shows up. Yeah. Kapotnik's lawyer, and he does that really long speech. <laughs> I can't even say it, but it's just like. Does that really long, elaborate speech, like lawyer speech? Yeah. <laughs> I love the chief. Just kind of stares at him the whole time, and he's just like, "I'm getting a headache just listening to you." <laughs> uh, so they they spring him out of the police station. Yes, because <laughs> uh, the cops were working him over. That's right. In the <laughs> interrogation the room. That's right. Uh, Let's see and this is also where they the cement the relationship between a little bit between the daughter and uh, a Grimaldi. Yeah. Because they have little scenes where she's just like, ooh. Because <laughs> she's doing that to every, right. every man. She's been looking for the right. <laughs> I love the idea that, like, she hasn't just, it's not just that her fact that her father's been protecting her from being, because, being, you know, it's not that hard to necessarily find someone to have sex with. 
but that she's like looking for a specific guy. I love that she's literally kind of looking for the right birth sign with the right number of letters in his name. And I love that in this world, that's not that weird. That's legitimate. Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, and I really, by the way, I really like uh, the actress who, who plays Miss Kapotnik. I think she's a really, she's sort of like this witch woman. And, you know, it's interesting is that she's, in another movie, you know, there's always that thing about the magical, magical native person or the magical minority. And in this world, yeah, she's a magical person and pretty well skilled in it. That's one of her things. She's a licensed witch. But I love that. That really doesn't make her that unique. Yeah. <laughs> she's not really the person who's like, because even she says at one point, she's like, oh, well, something bad's happening if you had any sensitivity at all. You know, it's like other people know, can sense what's going on. Yeah, she's still just his landlord. <laughs> right. She's just a lady who has, like, she's got some skills as magic, but that doesn't make her, like, the magical minority because everybody in this world, aside from him, has some skill in magic. Uh, so at this point, I think he goes back to his office and uh, Julianne Moore is That's there. right. And they reignite the old spark. Yeah, and it's a it's a good scene. I love it because especially there's that part where that part where he gives his speech about she's like, well, you know, everybody's got to make compromises, Joe. I mean, uh, Philip, you know, and he's like, that's what they tell me. <laughs> and then he has this great speech about this is this is what there's this great line in um, the Maltese Falcon where uh, she's trying to convince him to to not turn her in. Spoiler alert: <laughs> she's she's guilty of a crime, but. I haven't seen it yet. He says, there's a book too, by the way. (laughs) By the way, it is a great book and a great movie. I actually, the book and the movie are really, really close. I mean, they're almost the exact same thing. Uh, Raymond Chandler is a great writer. Uh, The Maltese Falcon is a great book. I recommend it. It's not that big. You can read it pretty easily. (laughs) No, but I mean, I think that in a good way. I don't like, I get like kind of disturbed by it. I'm like, I don't want to read this. It takes forever. But Maltese Falcon is a short book. And the movie, I saw that uh, recently. They had an event where you could see it in theaters. And I saw it. It's a great movie. But there's this great line at one point where she's trying to convince him not to turn her in, and he just says, "Don't don't believe I'm as crooked as people might think I am." And he's like, "Because he's not. He's got his weird integrity. Now he's still a jerk." Phil Lovecraft is a much nicer person <laughs> than Sam Spade is, but Sam Spade still has his integrity, and and so does. And that's the line here about like you know everybody's gonna make compromises. Well, not me. Yeah, I'm not gonna be. He's like, I know I'm not successful. I know I'm not gonna make like a ton of money with this guy, but I own my soul. And that's the and that's the price I'm willing to pay to own it. And I love that you're right. In this world, that's not just meta. That's not just metaphor. Yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the noir detective thing, right? He's got some principle that he's not willing to to compromise. Usually, yeah. Well, and you know, I, I read an interesting thing one time. It was a, a talking about how one of the mistakes people make with Batman is interpreting too much as a noir character because he's a noir character. You know, he's got a lot of elements of that. But the main thing he's missing is most noir detectives are flawed individuals who have some sort of code they can't break. And that code is like they can't sell out or they can't walk away, even though they they don't want to. They don't like a lot of times they're jaded. They think the world's shitty, but they're still like, well, I can't do it. I can't just let I can't. And one of the reasons Batman doesn't apply to that. okay, so Batman technically has, you know, this this he doesn't do it by he doesn't stumble into things by accident. He puts on a bat suit and goes and seeks out. problems to fix like sam spade would much rather just take care of small things and not get involved in anything too serious he could do that all day and you know philip you know this our character philip lowcraft yeah he gets involved in this stuff 
But he's just a detective. He's not trying to save the world. He's not trying to keep his... His integrity is simple. I'll just do my job and I'll do it well. Yeah. And uh, and that's the reason, like, it doesn't work with Batman, because Batman's literally trained his whole life to do this. <laughs> he's not a reluctant hero who stumbled into this thing. <laughs> you don't put on a bat suit and have a special car and wait every time for them to flash a signal in the sky <laughs> and then be like, well, I guess I'll go fight crime. <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> if I have to. You don't have to put on the suit. Uh, I guess I will. <laughs> I'm already here. <laughs> <laughs> well, they build a light and everything. I mean, I feel like a jerk if I didn't show up. <laughs> I guess I'll beat the shit out of everybody. <laughs> Fine. I'll go beat the shit out of Man Bad if I got to. <laughs> but that's what I think is different. Like, and you know, like, yeah, he's disguised as a detective. And he's got his integrity, but he's not super... He ends up in the situation. He didn't seek it out. He just ends up in it. Right. Whereas Batman seeks out, obviously. <laughs> like nearly every superhero, all you got to do is not show up. Like Superman. All Superman's got to do is say, oh, I'm Clark Kent. I just can't pretend like I can't hear that. Done. No one's going to go. Clark will help people. <laughs> so superheroes tend to be more active in their pursuit than detectives who kind of just wander into things. Did you ever see uh, Super, the movie? Uh, I I hate that movie. Do you? Yes, <laughs> I really like it. I I was I mean I go at what it's going for, and I don't hate it in the sense that I think it's bad. I hate it. I felt very slimy. <laughs> you know, you were it's, talking. We, it's kind of dark. You and I were talking about like uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah, and how you didn't like like Nightcrawler is a very dark movie, a very unpleasant movie. But I like Nightcrawler. But Super, I felt I feel terrible after watching Super. <laughs> I could not finish it. I was just like, I felt... And I mean, I don't mean that as a offense. I think it's supposed to be kind of that movie in a way. Yes. There are definitely parts where I felt gross. Right. <laughs> I don't know what the right word right. for it no, is. No, gross is but, the right word. Uh, and uh, But Nightcrawler was more honestly dark, I think. <laughs> I think so. I think Nightcrawler was dark in the sense that it wasn't... I mean, I'm not saying... I don't know. I mean, Super's good. Uh, just because I didn't finish it doesn't mean it's bad. But um, Super is also kind of playing as a comedy, which is a dark sort of comedy. Whereas Nightcrawler is just like, no, this is not a dark comedy. This is just a... It's just fucked up. This is a dreadful <laughs> story. Well, the reason I bring it up mm-hmm. is the there's a part in Super that makes me think of Batman, where he's standing in front of the mirror going, no, you shut up, cry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Batman's got, got impetus to go. He's got to be doing that. You know that Batman's got to sit around going, like, how do I look best in this cape? Yeah. He had to spend hours standing like... in front of the cape going, like, or like this... <laughs> Do I do it like this? What if I hunch? No, that's no good. What if I do it like this? Because, right? You're not going to... He's trying to strike fear in the heart. Right. I mean, you're not going to... He's you... the guy from Super. Hey, but good at it. Right. In a superhero universe, too. In a superhero universe, too. Because that's the problem. I mean, to be fair, Super, he doesn't live in a superhero universe, so it's dumb to do those things. Yeah. Just like in, in our world, it'd be dumb to try to light a cigarette with your hand. <laughs> yeah, so in Super, the guy's just hitting people with a wrench. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a psychotic way. Yeah. And I, I respect James Gunn, so I respect his vision. I just did not enjoy it at all. I think Super is a better, like, quote-unquote, realistic superhero movie than um, Kick-Ass. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, Kick-Ass is just a superhero movie. I just love that. Like, I'll always argue that like people will say, Kick-Ass is like, what if superheroes were real? I'm like, and we're still superheroes? Like, I'm telling you, I don't care how tough a nine-year-old girl is, a <laughs> 12-year-old girl is. <laughs> You can't cut off people's arms and kill a room full of people. That's what I, I get annoyed at. Like, 
like Kick-Ass is, uh, I don't particularly care for the comic. I think the comic's pretty terrible, but the uh, movie is okay. Except when it gets to the end and you have a guy in a jetpack with machine guns. And I'm just like, how is this not a superhero movie anymore? It's like, just because their costumes don't fit properly? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he spends, like, the first act getting, getting, getting his ass beat. Yeah. But after that, it's, it's just straight superhero. Off. Yeah, and then the sequel, like I didn't even see it, but I'm like, well, they're all superheroes. Okay, so they have ill-fitting costumes. Like Kid Girl is literally beating people up from a cup of a van. Like, how is that not a superhero thing? I, I agree. So super that. is much better than that. Yeah, I mean, in that way, in that way, yeah. Right. So, so they they bone <laughs> as it were, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down on the bed and say, "Let us burn." <laughs> There's that great. She has that great speech. That's all bullshit, by the way. But we find out later. <laughs> but anyway, she's just like, he's like, "Why are you here?" She goes, "Maybe I got tired of looking the other way. You look the other way enough times, you walk into walls. Maybe I'm tired of pushing my butt, <laughs> punch, <laughs> hurting my nose." Yeah. It's like it's all bullshit. She's just manipulating you, <laughs> Lovecraft. It's a good speech, though. It is a good speech. <laughs> I believed it. I like her character. I do. Um, well, I mean, she's convinced him that she's on his side. Yeah, and I'm convinced too. So it wasn't like I was completely right. You and should she... be. You should be. You should be. You shouldn't be surprised. I mean, she's a femme fatale. They always do that. Exactly. It's noir appropriate. Uh, <laughs> I'll call it in my uh, my book, Automatic Detective, which is noir but with retro. There's a lot of the cliches, and one of the cliches I toyed with was there's a woman in it, and he meets her, and, and they sort of hit it off. And I toyed with whether she's the femme fatale or not. And I decided I didn't want to do that. So, spoiler alert, she's not. But uh, but I love the... But you can spoil your own books. Well, it's still a good book even without that. But And I love somebody's... Re- actually, somebody's review was negative was... Well, like, where's the femme fatale? And I'm like, I'm sorry I didn't follow everything to the letter. I would like to see that, honestly. Well, she she is his girlfriend by the end of the book. So robot, robot human relations. <laughs> but it's a very nice relationship. Take that alt right. Take that. <laughs> I'm building bridges. <laughs> if you want to love your Roomba, I, that's okay. You know, for the record, I uh, if your uh, if your toaster it really likes you, I don't know, man. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so yeah, so so yeah. Then he gets Vista Bonita clue, which is always in these detective stories. There's always the uh, the development deal, the land development deal. <laughs> so this is perfect. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's funny when he gets there, and we talked about the the zombies. <laughs> I love the zombies in this. <laughs> They're slowly, methodically sawing or hammering. <laughs> And then every so often they just fall over. <laughs> yeah. Like one just hit its expiration date or something. <laughs> one falls into cement. <laughs> and it made me think there's probably a dozen zombies right. in the foundation of all these houses. Well, and I love the idea because you're like, well, this is just not going to work. And at first I was like, well, this kind of fits with this world that they're trying too quickly. They're like over, <laughs> over. Like they need better zombies before they can do this. But also it's like it hurts because they don't really care about the housing development. 
It's not really for, <laughs> supposed to be housing developers. But, sure. but I do love the idea that it's like, but I do love the idea of like being so enthusiastic about magic in, in this world that they'll be like, yeah. They use it for everything. Right. Zombies. <laughs> and I think the zombie, you know, the zombie that works for the bad guy, he's pretty effective, but people are watching and working with him. A zombie needs good supervision. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Only reason this would have been funnier is if there'd been a zombie supervisor. <laughs> just staring at some blueprints. Yeah. Like just standing there. <laughs> and this is where he tracks down the uh he follows the lead and he figures out that the chauffeur was the woman, the drag the cross dresser. Yeah. Tracks him and then finds out where and has is. Basically, Juliana Moore called the crossdresser up because she knows him from her, her, him. And uh, then they, they managed to meet up. And again, a great line. She walks in and he's just like, she's like, he sits down next to her and she's like, who said you could sit down? My feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go upstairs. He punches, he punches her. <laughs> By the way, this scene reminds me so much. There's a scene in um, The Maltese Falcon where Sam Spade comes into his office and there's a guy with a gun. And Sam Spade's like, uh, all right, we'll talk. And the guy's like, okay, we're talking. So the guy puts away his gun and Sam Spade like, knocks him out <laughs> and, takes, and takes away his gun and puts him in a chair. And then he sits and waits for the guy to wake up. <laughs> and he's just like, why'd you do that? And he goes, hey, if I, let in, if I don't let people, if I let somebody just come into my office with a gun and not know that they can't do that, with some kind of repercussion, all kinds of schmucks are going to be doing that. I can. <laughs> and this is the scene where he, he punches out the, the cross dresser and then he pours the drink <laughs> and sets it on the thing for him to wake up. Because <laughs> he's polite. Yeah. He's a gentleman. He is. And then they find the, the Necronomicon. He finds the Necronomicon. Thing that everybody's looking for. That's right. And And then we get the background. Now, this part's interesting, because this is a fine line. I like that, uh, you know, as part of the period, he does use the term, you know, fag, fag club. And I'm like, okay, I mean, that's that's, that's part of the period. But I like it that he's not really judgmental. It's just yeah. like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, it's just the parlance. Yeah. Like, like yeah, he's like, did you meet him at one of those, you know, like a, basically a gay club? He's like, no, the Lions Club, what do you think? <laughs> and then he's, so he's talking to him, and the guy's like, and this is where he starts doing this speech about, like, if you're the old ones, the outer gods, Yogg-Sothoth, Cthulhu. And I'm just like, oh, that's cool. That's, that's neat. It's, it's, uh, and he's like, I'll t- if you just drive me to Tijuana, we'll deal with this. And that's when the, the, the gargoyle appears. Yeah. Which is cool. I really like the gargoyle. Gargoyle's a good effect. It's good costume, makeup stuff. I like that Pretty. face is a little off. If you look at it, like, one of its eyes is, like, more to the center but i'm like because it's sort of a weird monster yeah i mean it's supposed to be and the wings are really tough good to look at. yeah and the wings are really good too the yeah. <laughs> it's like where it it kills the poor guy ripping his heart out oh through the chair oh right so the gargoyle is like david warner's um Minion. magical minion yeah <laughs> and the part where i love this part because again this fits with the noir thing it charges at lovecraft to keep shooting it he shoots it like a couple more times until he's out of bullets. And the gargoyle does that thing where it's kind of like like annoyed. Like he's really like, really? Are we going to do this? Are we doing this? 
And he kicks it in the gargoyle Kicks box. it in the gargoyle box. <laughs> you don't know this yet because you haven't seen Monster Squad with me, but you will. <laughs> Gargoyles got nards. <laughs> One point in Monster Squad, they're cornered by the werewolf. And they're just like, what do we do? And it's like, kick him in the nards. <laughs> and, and the kid's like... Wolfman doesn't have nards. And they're like, kick do it. They got it kicks him in the morning. Ooh. And there's the classic line. Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> Alright, I'm much more excited to see this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a great movie. It doesn't have as much snappy patter, but it does have monsters. Well, this is a pretty high bar. Pattern yeah, patter wise. This is one of the I think this is Probably the most patterific movie we've seen. It's heavy with snappy yeah. comebacks. Yeah, I mean everything that every conversation Marlo, I mean Marlo, <laughs> uh, Lovecraft have. It's just <laughs> he shows up, people start getting snappy. <laughs> the puns start flying. They get the book away. Yeah, for the gargoyle. They go, uh, sack out in uh, Julian Moore's. Apartment. But immediately, that's when. Clancy Brown's there. Call him. She made the call. He's been double-crossed. He's been double-crossed. There's a lot of double-crossing going on. At the end of this book movie, there's a lot of double-crossing going on. Which, again, is pretty normal. As there should be. The only honest guy in the room. When the, when the old gods are involved. Well, and maybe that's sort of the thing, too. The only honest guy in the room, you know, <laughs> is like, look, I'm not making deals because it's all double-crosses all the time. You cannot double-cross. Your problem is you think... And maybe that's the thing, too, is like, he knows... Like, can't trust anybody. They all think they've got the hedge up. That's why they're constantly getting double-crossed, because they all think they got will know what's going on. And this is the scene where, where poor Mr. Tugwell gets gets drowned. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, what a jerk. By his jerk. own zombie, no By his own zombie. <laughs> oh. Mr. Tugwell. <laughs> he was a jerk. I don't feel too sorry for him, but I did enjoy him. Sure. But this is when, you know, people start, it's like, but I can see why, because Clancy Brown's like, I'm going to become a god, I don't give a crap, time for you to go. Sure. <laughs> My last chance to be a spiteful bastard. Right. Mr. Tugwell <laughs> might have uh, interfered. In That's true. Plans. There's that great line when they, he wakes up in the car, and he says something funny, I forget, and Clancy Brown's like, you're a funny guy, Phil, I'm sure your dying words are going to be a scream. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, they they go out to the uh, the vista, right, which is the sacred <laughs> ground that's been prepared. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're going to summon uh, Yogg-Sothoth, I think. Well, they're summoning generally all the outer gods, uh, is what they say. They don't they don't make it specific. I thought it was somebody specific. Uh, no, because they're talking. I mean, Yogg-Sothoth. I is, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> to, I could break point. down <laughs> the, the mythos for you. Uh, uh, no, let me help you out here. Let me help you out here. All right, so Yogg-Sothoth. Is a being who excels us in all time and space, in all places, but is somehow simultaneously locked out of our universe. The forest in the Dunwich horror that impregnates a woman and creates the Watley, Waitley uh, monster. Cthulhu is more of a, he sleeps at the bottom of the ocean. He's more of a star creature. He's actually got a body. It's not, it's not really physical, but. Versus some other ones. And they mentioned, because they mentioned a bunch, they mentioned like uh, Shubnagorath, who's like the black goat, who's like a monster that spawns other monsters. They mentioned Nyarlathotep, Thotep, who's actually one of the few cosmic forces that actually seems to be intelligent as we would kind of understand it. 
There's just a ton of. There's a ton. They mentioned Azathoth. Azathoth is like the, literally the entire force of our universe. Our universe is just a dream of his. If he ever wakes up, we all die, including <laughs> Cthulhu. There's a bunch of fake. Don't tell me they're real. Fake <laughs> monster gods. So that they 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 mentioned all of them. <laughs> You know they're big enough; they could be as real as anything else. That's true. That's true. I don't know which one. Someone shows up. I'm like, I don't know. We could have got it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, there is a Cthulhu. I did not expect that to be real. <laughs> then you're you're ready to get stepped on by Cthulhu, and Batman shows up, and you're like, I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> And then you're probably like, it's like you probably think Wyatt Earp is real. I thought he was. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> I had this story idea I wanted to do one time years before I was even published, and and it was the idea that one day, like imaginary things and creatures and ideas just started like just one day they became real. And so one of the, the main character is this character who's a uh, a cartoon character who be, who is a detective cartoon character, but he's real. And he specializes in handling cases for like formerly imaginary, <laughs> like somebody. <laughs> so somebody at some point, Santa Claus became real, but somebody killed him, and somebody. And this character has this cartoon detective has to figure out who killed Santa Claus. It's very Martinez. <laughs> so, and that that story could still exist, and then Cthulhu could show up. <laughs> and they'd be like, "Crap, that's the thing we don't want showing up." It's a little bit like uh, Jasper Ford has like a nursery crime series. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Detective Inspector Jack Spratt. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's also one. There was ones that they were like, uh, I can't remember the name now, but they were like fake little golden books. But they were about a pig detective in a fairy tale world. Hmm. And they're they're like little golden books. Oh, they're great. And, and they, they have... Basically, they're noir detective stories <laughs> with like this pig detective dealing with the like you know little red writing and stuff like that. But like really, just solid. I can't remember what they are. I got to find out what they are. Uh, so good stuff. Yeah. So they they go to the they go to the, the Vista Benita, <laughs> and I love this scene because it's it's full of all the double crosses. But I also love like uh, David Warner's sort of irritation. He's like the book. <laughs> and he's not going to give him the book. It's like nothing happens without the book. Yeah, it's this classic noir thing where the like the mobster mm-hmm. is in league with this guy who's a little higher up the food chain. Yeah, yeah, the 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 uh, corrupt industrialist. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, so that seems very appropriate. It does. It covers both and of the those. Guys, the the industrialist is treating him like. Kind of an idiot. Like a thug idiot. Because <laughs> he is, kind of. And he is in over his head, ironically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, what's that line? Are, really. But... Yeah, what's <laughs> that line about, like, uh, well, it's like in, uh, you know, it's, I always think when you see stories like this, and, like someone's like, oh, we open the door and we'll become a god. And I'm like, huh? how do you know that's true? <laughs> yeah. Why would you believe that? <laughs> but I think he is, oh, thanks for opening the door, chunk. Yeah, so the old gods are going to come through the door. <laughs> Destroy everything except you. Yes. <laughs> you. They're going to like so much. Because you're just, you're a swell guy. Because <laughs> they're very grateful. These other dimensional entities that don't function on human morality. <laughs> and I love what they do. I love even better that like, like Clancy Brown is literally not even going to become a god. He's just going to become like the most important man on earth. 
And there's that line, it'll be a charred, ruined world, but he'll be the most important person on it. And I love that because then they cut to Clancy Brown. He's got that grin on his face. And he's like, hey, what do you think about that? It's like, man, your morality is off-center, dude. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Alas, his dreams are destroyed when Juliana Moore shoots him. The double-double cross. The double-double cross. And then she's about to shoot Phil. And I love that this is the classic where she's she she's she's corrupt, but she also loves him. She still really does love him. Yeah. And she's trying to bring him over, but no, that's that's not how it works. That's why you can't. He won't break his code. <laughs> and that's when the zombie breaks her hand. My theory on the zombie is pretty simple, is that basically whoever's the most powerful magic person in the room controls the zombie. I like to think that uh, what's his face got the zombie from David Warner. <laughs> I can believe that too. So that's he's, true. He's ultimately like his zombie source. That's true. <laughs> so he's David Warner's zombie. Oh, he does have access to zombies. I mean, he's got a whole. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> well, he's clearly a magical guy. Yeah. So then <laughs> he's she a breaks. Magical kind of guy. <laughs> hey. And uh, so yeah, he breaks her. I love. And the villain does that thing where it's like, oh, but I want to. You must see what I'm going to do. Oh. <laughs> Look, it's already it's already screwed. You're not going to win. We already know that because you know you've already lost. You just don't realize it. But don't be smarmy. <laughs> Classic James Bond villain. Oh. <laughs> Only you would understand my genius. Therefore, you must. Oh, stop it! Stop it! In the Constance Verity book, that's she's always having adventures, and she's just used to that. Okay, here, you're gonna you're gonna show me what you're doing now because <laughs> only I can understand the breadth of your genius. I get it, and. Uh, Fine, whatever. But again, that goes with. I always think that fits though, because it's the I call it the Dracula rule, which is like Dracula is really tough, and most of the time you can just kill anybody. You know, he's a monster. He's been around forever. He's really tough and smart and powerful. But he's always kind of like, ah, you're beneath me, and it's just like that's the one that's gonna get you. That's the one. Like you turn your back on that guy because you're like, ah, oh, that guy doesn't matter. <laughs> if you were just cautious, like if you're the James Bond villain who literally just like. Just kill that guy. What if we make a scene? Don't worry, kill him. People will investigate. We'll kill them too. That's one of the <laughs> best parts of Austin Powers where uh, yeah. the, the son Scott comes in. <laughs> Scott! Uh, comes in and he's like, we'll just shoot him. We'll do it together. <laughs> You're not going to watch? I love that he's like, no, Scott. I'm just going to walk away and assume everything went smoothly. <laughs> Listen, you don't understand how this works. <laughs> You know, but at least I like that in that you leave them in a certain death trap. You know, yeah, okay, they're going to escape. I get that. But, like, the one I... Like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, the the first live-action one, there's twice where the Shredder has a turtle defeated by themselves, easily can kill them, and he just walks away. And I'm like, well, it's not like he's like, finish him, and his his ninjas show up, and he's like, finish him, and he walks away, and he's like, I'm not going to bother. But I assume my ninjas are going to finish this guy off. It's literally... He walks away from a defeated enemy that comes back to hassle him. And then he does it again. <laughs> and both time I'm like, you know, maybe the death trap isn't a great plan, but at least it makes sense. <laughs> it was a plan. Right. Like, okay, I probably Batman will probably escape, but he might not. And it keeps him busy. But you don't just like, Batman, stay in this room. <laughs> <laughs> if I leave, you're not going to get up, right? <laughs> you're not going to get up. 
It's really just it's Shredder's cry for help. <laughs> he's in too deep. He's save, like, save me. He's like, look, I don't really like this crank guy. <laughs> but what can I do? I'll just be bad at this. He's in an abusive relationship with crank. <laughs> Maybe, well, you know, we've all been there. One day you wake up and you realize, like, well, maybe I don't want to have extra-dimensional entities attacking the Earth. <laughs> maybe they won't work out that great for me. Maybe they won't make me king of the world. Maybe they won't make me king of the world. I'll be just taking orders from more aliens. I can break take orders from this guy. What can I do? Well, I mean, if I try to top, stop him, I'm going to get in trouble. But what if I just sort of beat up the turtle? <laughs> Leave a note. <laughs> Turtles, don't you dare come to the Technodrome <laughs> under 5th Street. <laughs> you better not use the secret entrance in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Krang's like, how did this keep happening? <laughs> That's not a bad Krang, I'm actually impressed. <laughs> don't break your arm, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> I, I can't do many voices. I do a decent Skeletor. Sounds very similar. That's that's it. <laughs> You've hit my range, Scott. Skeletor and Krang. Skeletor and Krang. <laughs> and uh Nerd. So anyway, about the Adder Gods. You see <laughs> Yes, tell me all Astur, about the Astur is the brother of Cthulhu, but he hates him. <laughs> There are a lot of these stories. <laughs> there are a lot. Well, because they're not all Lovecrafts. So they people wrote more, and then they kind oh, of really? integrated okay. a bunch of them. Yeah, it's like extended universe. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it was stuff. actually um, uh, Lovecraft. Some Lovecraft stuff shows in the Conan original Conan stories, at least one or two, because uh, Robert Howard, the creator of Conan, did some uh, like some in, did some interacting with uh, with uh, Lovecraft and incorporated that. So Conan. <laughs> Like fights uh, some like the Serpent Man, which are offspring of Yig, which is, I think, a Howard creation, but became part of the mythos. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, it was extended universe before there was extended universe. Before it became standard. Now, <laughs> right? He was he was doing it before uh, before it was cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, because people were like, "What are you referencing that?" Oh, you had to read my uh, third story for that. I don't. I don't want to read that. I <laughs> can I just enjoy this story? No, you really have to understand it. <laughs> you don't deserve this story. You don't understand uh, I have a collection of like uh, Lovecraft stories I gotta start on <laughs> uh, But so far I've only read the uh, Cthulhu The Innsmouth Terror? Cthulhu Photogon something, something. Oh, uh, I don't know he Comes out of the ocean Innsmouth? and somebody hits him on the boat Oh that's uh, <laughs> and that's What it. is that one? The Call of Cthulhu Yeah that's it that's a good one. That's the one that people remember. Uh, there's also the uh, <laughs> Shadows Over Innsmouth, one of the more one, one that kind of integrates some of the Cthulhu stuff with the village that's like full of fish people. That's a famous one. There's a bunch. There's a bunch that there, there's a lot of them are pretty good. Some uh, it's interesting how it different is how it became such a weird mainstream thing, even though it's all about unknowable quantities. Yeah, it's kind of weird <laughs> to have that where it's like Cthulhu now plush form. Well, I, you know, but to be fair, that's why Cthulhu is so popular because most of the other ones don't really look like anything. So it's really hard to make a good flesh out of them. <laughs> like Yogg Sothoth is just a bunch of spheres like rattling together. 
What? Yeah, because he's outside of time and space. He's a bunch of spheres. Okay. I don't make the rules, man. <laughs> it's hard to make a plushie out of Madness Incarnate. <laughs> it is. And and that's why like Cthulhu became like I think the people talk about that's why he became the one that's most common because he's easy to recognize. He's described. He, he can make in him. that story. Yeah, he's easy. It's funny they talk about like in that story. It's he's described. They, the first thing they say is how indescribable he is, <laughs> and the next thing is like this is what he looks like. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and there's a great short film, like half hour, uh, black and white silent film, called based on Call of Cthulhu. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty good. I think it's online. You can find it. But it's pretty, it's like, it's just, it's done in that style. Like everyone kind of acts in that way. And uh, Cthulhu shows up, he's like a stop motion puppet. It's really, it's really good. It's really true to the story. And it's, it's it got like a really good atmospheric feel to it. Neat. So anyway, poor Clancy Brown dies. <laughs> Juliana Moore gets, gets betrayed too. <laughs> and then they do the ritual to summon whichever elder god is there. I think this is the more like the the doorman, non specific elder god, non specific elder. You know, the generic <laughs> elder gods cost just are just as effective. They cost half as much. <laughs> They're outsourcing elder gods. That's now. right. It's like beer from Killer Clowns <laughs> and cops. <laughs> they took her jobs. <laughs> the equivalent of uh, of, of Mexico. South, South Madness, <laughs> South Rila. Mexico. <laughs> like There's get, some kind of dimensional free trade agreement and it all went to hell. It all went to hell for the four guys. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, you can pay for Nate Brand or you can just get the... <laughs> I'm just picturing now like some kind of warehouse. <laughs> Jerry's House of Madness. <laughs> How much would you pay for this... Totem from Rila. <laughs> to unmake reality. <laughs> unmake reality. Well, we've got the equivalent. <laughs> Comes from China. <laughs> Made in a factory. <laughs> so then they summon the outer god, which is a good sequence. I like it. It's got the sort of very ritualistic chanting, and they just got the they're watching, and then the it appears. Up. And it's a really good. I like that creature design. It's really good. Yeah. It's really it's solid. It's very decent for um, what seems like kind of a budget movie. Budget movie and the time too, because the time was also kind of lower on special effects. I mean, uh, it's funny that you realize that, like, even though I like CGI when it's done well, a lot of practical effects aged better than you would think. Yeah, because like that gargoyle, that gargoyle is a practical effect. It's a it's a really good practical effect. Yeah, I mean, since Star Wars came out, that became kind of a like a craft. Right. Really? Well, because the CGI when it works is is it's just it's hard to make it work without putting the extra effort. In. A lot of things people use as a shortcut without putting the effort in. Whereas practical effects can really work because well, first it also gives some of the actors something to work with. Right, and you don't have to. I mean, it was a little early for CGI. Yeah. For this movie. Yeah. But, um, with practical effects, you don't have to like iterate and process the movie. Yeah. X number of times before it looks good. Right, and also worry about like getting stuck with something. You know what it looks like? Oh, here's this gargoyle. <laughs> right. And your actors have something to act against. Right. Yeah, the gargoyle's great. Because that scene where it's like, it looks annoyed. And even the zombie, like the zombie's just a guy with like makeup on. But he's there. It's a very real presence in the yeah. scene. It doesn't feel like something they're moving around. It's something that's there because it's there. <laughs> and so the 
Cthulhu thing where it like pulls out that tentacle and is about to eat the girl. It was like, first of all, you know, I think David Warner William sacrificed his virgin daughter. He's a jerk, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Call me crazy. How rude. <laughs> uh, you know, you're right. You know, I don't have a daughter myself. It's unfair to judge his parenting technique. <laughs> she probably deserved it. <laughs> and then she gets about to get eaten, but she gets dropped. Yeah. And then David Warner. I love what David Warner like realizes it's I'm going to hell, and he's picking her the book, like, like <laughs> looking through it. <laughs> it's kind of like abort, abort, abort. Where's the where's the end button? <laughs> and then he gets sucked into the mob. <laughs> Just kidding, Cthulhu. Just kidding, Cthulhu. Just kidding, Cthulhu. <laughs> the good prank show. It's the prank show. <laughs> Klaatu, Muratu. Who could do was about to bust up? Oh, damn it. This is a show where they're always pranking Cthulhu. (laughs) It's very specific. (laughs) Every week, Cthulhu just throws his hat on the ground and stomps on it. You're like, you, you can't do Hester once in a while? Nope, just kidding, Cthulhu. <laughs> what a little bitch. <laughs> I'm picturing being hosted by, like, <laughs> like, hey, I'm Nyarlathotep. <laughs> and this is Shemnagura. Go to the woods. <laughs> we thought it'd be funny to replace Cthulhu's coffee. <laughs> you said it, Shubnagrath. <laughs> By the end of that, after like six months, you realize you're like, I'm kind of rooting for Cthulhu to destroy the world. He's kind of, yeah. he's kind of like, I was willing to let live, but just leave me alone. He wants to see Cthulhu get even at some point. So even. He, he's like, he's had a meal. He turns over salt shaker. Hell salt comes out. And he's just like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so, this is really funny. We find out that the woman is, uh, the reason she was rejected is because Grimaldi slept with her. Yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of... <laughs> Like, yeah, he slept with the jail bait. Well, and I love the idea, too, is that, and this is the other thing I like about this world, is that, yeah, magic makes things easier, but it's not foolproof. And I love the idea that, sort of, like, where she's, like, she's been looking for just the right guy to sleep with. And she found him. It's like, don't don't tell anybody about this. You're worried I'm going to tell your wife? And she's like, wait, you're married? And I love the idea that, like, magic is not foolproof. Even her system is not foolproof. The screw that saved the world. <laughs> I feel like you wrote a similar short story. I wrote a similar short. It's not about saving the world, but that one is the idea is that there's the the they have to do a, like a virgin sacrifice, but she's not a virgin. <laughs> but in fact, it's actually that's what kind of it hurts the monster because because she, she's not a virgin. Because yeah. I'm just like yeah, because it's like bullshit and, and like that. That's got that great line where she's like you know it's like fuck your your what oh, something like your antiquated sexuality. <laughs> All those bluff. Yeah, because she's like, you know, hey, I'm not a bad person. I just had some sex. So, yeah, so that's that. They have a nice scene with him and Julia Moore, and Juliana Moore in the car. And then he goes back to his office and has the wrap up. He's all beat up. There's that line. I just love the narration where he's just like, I needed to hear people talking about the weather and sports. 
They didn't know it, but they had a better chance of happiness than they did <laughs> yesterday. Because I got the book. I like that. That's the end? By the way, I really like their version of the Necronomicon. I've seen other versions of the Necronomicon in stories. And it looks fine, you know. But this one I like because it's... I like that it's a nice, thick book <laughs> with, like, a lot of cool stuff on it. As opposed to, like, usually you see a smaller one because it's easier to carry and all that. But I yeah. just like that it's this huge volume. Yeah, it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that one and the one from um, Evil Dead. Yeah. The, Army of Darkness. Yeah, the one with, the like, the, <laughs> the human face, face on, on it. it. Yeah. Looks like yeah. warped. Probably yeah, that's down. the one that I think is the most influential because you'll see most of the time people have something like do like that because yeah. they've seen so much in that, which is a good design. This one's good too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. Uh, that's I just I love this movie. I think it's a great movie. The more I talk about it, the more I love it. <laughs> I just think it's 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 almost perfect from top to bottom. It, yep. it does everything with great intent. It's a metaphor for the double down. <laughs> As we established, <laughs> it's chocolate and peanut butter, man. It's <laughs> it's it's great, and I think that it has not. It's rarely been equaled, even today, in terms of urban fantasy. And I'm sure there's some exceptions. I mean, I don't. I, there's so much urban fantasy, I don't read all of it. Even Alex cannot have seen every movie <laughs> involving urban fantasy. Well, but I'm talking about even books. Even the books have trouble with it. And one of the things I like about this one is, for example, we don't. I don't. We don't really mention it, but like she. People shoot each other in this one. Not a lot. She like she shoots the Clancy Brown. I like that because it's like a gun is still a tool in this world. Now, Mr. Tugwell doesn't do it, but he doesn't need to. Right. It's uh, probably like a stylistic choice. Right. Right. <laughs> right. He's, and He's above that kind of thing. Right. And so you don't see a lot of guns in this one, but when you do see guns, it makes sense. And again, it feels like this is a world... They didn't forget the real stuff. A gun's still pretty useful. Sure. It's just... You know, <laughs> Mr. Tugwell likes doing magic. Um, and so that's it. All right. So what movie we're we doing next? Uh, we're going to watch Sunshine. Sunshine, which I have not seen. Yep. Excellent um, low-budget sci-fi movie. I'm, I'm excited about this. <laughs> I think I've seen a little bit of it. This is one has Chris. One of the Marvel yes, Chris's yes. in it. Yes. Uh, Chris Evans? Yes, Chris Evans. Captain America. Yes. Isn't it? And the guy who plays Scarecrow on uh, Batman Begins. Oh, uh, Cillian Murphy? Yeah, I believe. Oh, he was in, is that the same? And this is 20, he was in 28 Days Later, right? And that's why, because we're talking, isn't the same director who did 28 Days Later? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And also did Ex Machina and a bunch of stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, that's what we were talking about. I wanted to mention that. I was surprised how much he's done. <laughs> well, we were talking about, like, even the guy who did Cast a Deadly Spell, we were looking at, he's still working. Oh, yeah. And he's been doing tons of stuff, directing and, and, uh, TV shows and movies. Right, didn't he... Am I right that he's the one who directed GoldenEye? <laughs> yes. And Casino Royale? Or am Ooh, I... Wait, that might have been David Brody. You're talking about Martin Campbell. Yeah. Oh, no, you are right. Uh, he did uh, GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Yeah, which is funny because both of those are like game-changing versions of James Bond. Yeah. Because, you know, GoldenEye was sort of the return of the character after he was kind of disappeared for a little bit. Right. And Casino Royale, which I don't like very much, but whatever, it doesn't matter, I don't like it. <laughs> um, it's still a resurgence. It's kind of funny that he did, he also did Green Lantern. He also did the Mark of Zorro? Mask, or Mask of, Zorro. of Zorro. And I'm like, uh, it's funny when you, you think about these actors. I mean, I'm sure that they have their fans, but it's weird to realize there's people you don't know. <laughs> yeah, these are the work a day. Yeah. Hollywood. And it's not like they're working on small projects. Directors, writers, yeah. yeah. 
so it's really Bunch interesting. Of stuff you've probably seen. Yeah. So I just think that's cool. So until then, <laughs> he's Scott. He's Lee. And we just saved another movie. Shabba dabba boo. <laughs> so much pressure saying I do want that at the end for my thing about telling my cat that he needs to lose weight. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, Morgan. That should be fine. You got good? Okay. Are you ready? You want to give it another second? No, it's fine. Okay. Hi, Morgan. I'll feed you in a minute. An hour. <laughs> All right. Are we good? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I tell my cat all the time that he needs to lose a couple pounds before I really respect him. <laughs> Get a job, fatty. <laughs> all right, test, test. We good? We good? Check, check. <laughs> Clipper chips, chip teeth. <laughs>